0: Open your Bibles now to Leviticus chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 33 to 57, verse 33 to the end of the chapter. As we continue in our series through the book of Leviticus and specifically on these clean and unclean laws here uh, on, on leprosy. Here in the 13th and 14th chapter. So, looking at Leviticus chapter 14, beginning in verse 33, this is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. You would do well to give it your full attention. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession, then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest." There seems to me to be some case of disease in my house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease. Lest all that is in the house be declared unclean. And afterward the priest shall go in to see the house, and he shall examine the disease. And if the disease is in the walls of the house with greenish or reddish spots, and if it appears to be deeper than the surface, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. If the disease has spread in the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take out the stones in which the disease is the disease and throw them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall have the inside of the house scraped all around, and the plaster that they scrape off they shall pour out in an unclean place outside of the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones, and he shall take other plaster and plaster the house." If the disease breaks out again in the house, after he has taken out the stones and scraped the house and plastered it, then the priest shall go and look. And if the disease has spread in the house, it is a persistent leprous disease in the house, it is unclean. And he shall break down the house, its stones and timber and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them out of the city to an unclean place. Moreover, Whoever enters the house while it is shut up shall be unclean until the evening, and whoever sleeps in the house shall wash his clothes, and whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes and looks, and if the disease has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, for the disease is healed. And for the cleansing of the house he shall take two small birds with cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And shall kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. And he shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet yarn along with the live bird and dip them in the blood of the bird that was killed and in the the fresh water and sprinkle the house seven times. Thus he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and with the fresh water and with the live bird and with the cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet yarn. And he shall let the live bird go out of the city into the open country." So he shall make atonement for the house, and it shall be clean. This is the law for any case of leprous disease, for an itch, for leprous disease in a garment or in a house, or for a swelling or an eruption or a spot, to show when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law for leprous disease. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You may be seated. The concept of wholeness or completeness has been the primary theme of this section of Leviticus that deals with the clean and unclean laws. There was to be wholeness and completeness in the camp of Israel because God dwelled in the midst of their camp within the tabernacle. You really can't grasp the true intent of the clean and unclean laws unless you understand two things. First, you must understand that the tabernacle was a replica or a copy of heaven itself. In heaven, everything is whole and complete. And in that respect, everything in heaven can be considered Clean. Now, if the tabernacle was a replica of heaven, then everything near to the tabernacle must also be clean. Anything, whether a person or a thing that became unclean, must be expelled from the camp of Israel. So that's the first thing. Second. You must understand that uncleanness symbolized either sin itself or the effects of sin. Sin itself is unclean. It is the epitome of incompleteness or of lacking wholeness. To be fully alive is to be whole and complete and therefore death makes you incomplete and less than whole. Sin brought death into the world. Sin made this world incomplete, less than whole. This was, of course, not the way it was when God created the world. After creation, God looked at all that he had created and declared that it was Very good. But sin marred the goodness of God's creation. It made the world incomplete and less than whole. We could put it this way. It brought uncleanness into the world. And so we must understand first... That uncleanness symbolized sin and the effects of sin. And second, we must also understand that the tabernacle was a replica of heaven. Therefore, if someone or something became unclean, it must be removed from the camp of Israel, since it cannot be near to God who dwelled in the midst of the camp in the tabernacle. Anything that was leprous was unclean. We've already dealt with the types of leprous diseases that could affect people. And we've also dealt with the types of leprosy that could affect garments or skins or the skins of animals that was uh, or or other uh, such items. But our passage this morning deals specifically with cases of leprosy that affect people's houses. What we want to do this morning is first discuss the instructions that Israel was given for dealing with this type of leprosy. Then second, we want to discuss what the symbolism of this type of leprosy teaches us today. And last, we want to conclude by discussing the implications that this teaching has for how we are to live. And so first, let's discuss the instructions that Israel received for houses with leprosy. And the Lord begins these instructions pointing out that this would be the law for dealing with leprosy in their homes once They get to the land of Canaan. Currently, they did not have homes with walls and stones because they dwelled in tents made of skin as they traveled around in the wilderness. And so he's already dealt with leprosy in their tents because it dealt with leprosy on skins. And their tents were made of skins, animal skins. But when they get to Canaan and have more permanent structures to dwell in, then the following instructions were to help them deal with leprosy in their homes. Now, notice also that the Lord says, when I put a case of leprous disease, or perhaps better translated, a leprous plague in a house. The Lord, you see, at times would put such a plague on a house himself. Now, this could simply be pointing out the sovereignty of the Lord, that whenever there is such a leprous plague, that nothing happens outside of God's decree, outside of his will. He is sovereign over all, and that he himself puts that leprous plague there. Or it might also, in addition, be referring to the fact that he would at times curse someone's house as an act of judgment upon them for some sort of sin. Whichever the case, both assume that God is sovereign over such things. As just mentioned, God has decreed all things. Nothing happens outside of his decree. He rules and governs this world. And so when such things occur, it is not something done outside of his own will, what he has decreed. Now, if it came to be that leprosy was thought to be in a house, then a person was first to take everything outside of his house. Why? Well, just in case the house is indeed pronounced unclean by the priest, then everything in the house would not be pronounced unclean along with it. So he would remove all those things lest everything be unclean and he has to cleanse everything in the house if it indeed is pronounced unclean. And so after taking everything out, then the priest would come and inspect the house or that portion of the house where they found the spots, and if the priest found greenish or reddish spots or mold or mildew, greenish or reddish mold, and those spots appeared to be deeper than the surface, then he was to shut up the house for seven days. The priest would come back on the seventh day, and if it had not spread, then the house was considered clean. However, the house would still need to be cleansed. Just like the person needed to be cleansed if they had been healed from leprosy, so they would perform the same cleansing rite with the birds that we discussed last week. So the house still needed to be cleansed from whatever growth there was in the house, but it would be pronounced clean. But if going back on the seventh day it had spread, then the priest commanded the owner of the house to take out the stones where the leprous plague was and all the plaster in that area and to throw them out into an unclean place outside of the city. And then the owner could put new stones in and replaster the wall. And if this took care of the situation, then the house would be declared clean. But again, the house would need to be cleansed. And so again, they would need to use that same cleansing rite with the birds, the two dove or the two pigeons One that was put to death, the other one dipped in its blood, and the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop, and the cedarwood. All those things which we discussed last week. And for that process, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon from last week. Now, on the other hand, if the leprous plague came back after those seven days then it was a persistent leprous plague and the whole house was pronounced unclean. And so the owner of the house would have to tear down the whole thing, the whole structure and carry all of it outside of the city to an unclean place. And anyone during this time who entered the home would themselves be considered unclean until evening, and whoever slept in or ate in the home would need to wash their clothes. Okay, so these are the instructions for how they were to deal with a case of leprous plague in the home. But as we have discussed throughout Leviticus, tabernacle worship And the clean and unclean laws were all types and symbols that pointed to the person in the work of the Messiah. To be more specific, the clean and unclean laws are telling a story of the history of this corrupted world. The big picture that we want to see in this story is that sin has corrupted this world, but Christ... Would come to cleanse it. This passage is teaching us that sin has made the world unclean and therefore subject to death and decay. This is true not only with respect to humanity, but also with regard to the whole world. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, notice what Paul is saying here, that the creation itself did not willingly subject itself to futility and to corruption, but was made subject to them by who? By him, by Adam, when he sinned. And Paul really here is simply commenting on what Scripture... Reveals in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. That verse records the Lord's words to Adam directly after he sinned. It says, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. This, you see, was when creation, not just man, but the whole of creation was subjected to futility and corruption and death and decay. It was cursed by God and the evidence of God's curse on creation continues to be told, you see, in the leprosy. In the mold and the mildew that grows on the walls of Israel's homes, or even by the leprosy that could affect their garments or their animal skins, which they use for clothing and tents. Of course, the curse of God on creation is also told in the leprosy that could infect mankind. Because God told Adam that if he disobeyed him by eating from the tree, then he would surely die. And so you can see the story that leprosy is telling. Through symbolism, it is teaching us of a world that has been subjected to corruption and death and decay. Paul, too. Continues to make this very point in that same Romans 8 passage. Beginning in verse 22, he states, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await Eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So Paul says that not only does the creation groan, but we who possess the Holy Spirit groan along with it. Why? Because though our inner man is being renewed by the Spirit, our outer man is doing what? Wasting away. It is subject to death. And so, not only does man need to be redeemed from its depraved state, but so too does the rest of creation. Man has brought the curse of sin and death upon all of creation. Commenting on this very passage, Matthew Henry writes There is an impurity deformity and infirmity which has come upon the creature which has come upon the creature by the fall of man there is an enmity of one creature to another and they are used or abused rather by men as instruments of sin yet this deplorable state of creation is in hope God will deliver it from those and from thus being held in bondage to man's depravity. End quote. You see, beloved, God has an eternal plan to correct, to remedy, to redeem all of creation from its corruption and futility which was brought on by sin. This plan, beloved, is centered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Scripture proclaims this most clearly, I think, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, our assurance of pardon earlier in the service. It reads, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches Now listen to what scripture is saying here. We, that is only those who are united to Christ by faith, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins by grace. And this very thing happened in accordance with the purpose of God as a plan. Not only to unite elect sinners to himself in Christ, but to unite all things. Things in heaven and things on earth. Heaven is perfect, but all things would be united together, both heaven and earth. And so here's the point. Through the work of Christ. Sinners would be redeemed by his blood. But in addition. He would also unite this fallen world back to heaven. The earth. The world in its present state would be redeemed. So that it is in harmony with heaven. And this is pictured. Symbolically, in Leviticus 14, when the house that had leprosy was united back to the tabernacle. Specifically, we see this in the cleansing ritual that makes atonement for the house, once it had been renewed with the new stones and the plaster. The same blood ritual that made a person clean from leprosy also makes the house which once had leprosy clean. Do you remember how we said that a person healed from leprosy had received the equivalent of a new birth? discussed that last week. Once healed, it was like the person had a new birth. With leprosy, they were like the living dead. But being healed, they had a new birth. Well, it's like the renewed house has received a new birth. And this is symbolized by the blood ritual of the bird. It's cleansed and given new life. Now the blood of the bird, of course, was a type and a shadow of the blood of Jesus Christ. Which not only makes the leprous souls of the elect clean, but which also makes Clean this cursed world, which is subject to death and decay, and unites it back to heaven. And so the renewal and cleansing of the house is a type and a shadow that points to the renewing and cleansing of the whole world. It's as if the present world will have a new birth. In fact, Jesus speaks of it. In just this way, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, he says, Truly I say to you. Now, the ESV, that's what translation you have, goes on to translate, In the New World. The New American Standard, I think a little better translation, says, In the regeneration. Other translations say, In the renewal. Or it could simply be translated, In the new birth. Jesus is referring to the whole world being renewed, being regenerated. It will have a new birth and will be made clean. And so on the one hand, we have a picture in Leviticus 14 of the world being cleansed and renewed. But on the other hand, we have a picture of that which is unclean being destroyed. Leviticus depicts this in the removal of those parts of the house that has the mold, or of the whole house itself if it had a persistent case of leprosy. Those parts were to be torn down and destroyed and taken out of the city to an unclean place. Beloved, when Christ returns, he will cleanse the present world by removing all the uncleanness from it and will fully reconcile it to heaven. How will he do this? Well, uh, Grant has been... Preaching on that in 2 Peter 3. In that chapter, what we find is that the Lord will return like a thief in the night. And the world as it now exists will be dissolved by fire. And the works on the earth will be exposed. And out of this will come a new heaven and a new earth in which only... Righteousness dwells. You see, the upper heavens where Christ is now seated at the right hand of God will converge with this lower heavens and earth, the, the, the sky and the, the, the bodies in the sky and the earth, and all of it will be dis- dissolved by fire. Cleansing all of it from its impurities. And then it will be as John saw in his vision in Revelation chapter 21. When he said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had what? Passed away. It has died. It has passed away. And then verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. And then verse 5, the risen Lord says, Behold, I am making all things new. And the very last verse of that chapter says, Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So that, beloved, is the symbolism of leprosy and what it teaches us, what it points forward to in the person and work of Christ. Okay, so what are the implications that these marvelous truths have for our lives? Well, first, we need to know that judgment upon this world is coming. And Christ will cleanse it of all the wicked and from all the wicked works that they have done. That cleansing will either purify, will either purify you completely, even your outer self making you perfectly fit in body and soul to dwell in the new heavens and the new earth with the Lord who is our life. Or it will eternally consume you, casting you into that unclean realm of death and decay that is in hell where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. Mark 9, 48. And so first, and the greatest implication of this for your life is that you need to understand that the only escape from that judgment is to trust in Christ, who bore the judgment for you on the cross and who shed his blood to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, another implication from this teaching is that it is... Utterly foolish to love this world or the things in this world. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why would the desires of your heart be upon a world that is doomed to pass away? And which indeed is passing away. Now this is not to say that we never enjoy the good blessings of this world given to us by God. But only to say that the affections of our hearts should not be upon things that are on this earth. But upon things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If you are in Christ, then you are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, not citizens of this world. And this leads us then to our last implication that I would like to share with you this morning. And that is the fact that our works, our obedience in this world are not what cleanses it or transforms it any more than our works or our obedience is cleansing and transforming ourselves. The work of Christ alone by his spirit both cleanses and transforms the believer And likewise, Christ alone will cleanse and transform the rest of creation as well. It is his job to do the cleansing and transforming. And he has already begun that work because everyone who is in Christ is already a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5:17. And Christ's cleansing work of this world continues in the mission He has given to the church. The church is the kingdom of heaven on earth, and its mission is to go and to make disciples of every nation, baptizing them and teaching them to do all that He has commanded. This mission is not to transform nature to transform culture, or to transform the kingdoms of this world. It is not an earthly mission, but a heavenly mission. This mission is spiritual in nature. Which is why this doctrine is known as the spirituality of the church. Christ's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, and as he himself said, it is not of this world. And therefore, it is not our mission to transform this world, but simply to evangelize it. Now, if in doing so, God brings about many new births, and his church grows and culture is better than we praise God but our mission is simply to evangelize the world and to teach those whom Christ cleanses to obey him to whom be all praise and glory both now and forevermore amen let's pray our most gracious heavenly Father, we are thank you. We are thankful that you have sent Christ into the world to redeem it, to cleanse it. Indeed, you said through your servant Paul that in him you were reconciling the world to yourself. And so you have given us what? The ministry of reconciliation to preach the good news that Christ by his spirit might Reconcile unbelievers to himself, bringing them to faith and repentance. And we know that you will finish all of this work at the return of Christ. And so we pray that we would be faithful to the mission that you have given to us. That we would live godly and holy lives, obeying Christ and sharing the good news. May Christ's return come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen.